They came to us and said, we actually do not need eight suppliers for this product line anymore. We're going to be consolidating down to, to the best three. And so, of course, there was panic and everybody kind of freaking out about Let's cut our price even lower. Let's, and we're talking price per unit was measured in pennies for this product. We, we did millions in volume a year for pennies per, per unit. So it was like, how do you go from seven cents to six cents? Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm LFH IQ. How would you feel if you had a handful of customers with huge leverage decided to consolidate their vendors and put pressure to cut the prices further that you might not be able to afford? No one wants to be in this situation. What would you do if you face this situation? Would you expand your operations to explore further cost reduction opportunities? Would you rather shut down your operations? Would you try to sell hard and not take no for an answer? Or would you start looking for other customers? In today's episode, we have our guest, Paul Serafino, who discusses how manufacturers and distributors can get through vendor consolidation situations by their key customers. He also discusses why thinking from the overall capacity is vital to deal with such problems than limiting it to your four walls. Finally, he provides several relationship building and negotiation techniques to help overcome the price pressure and help create superior value and strategic partnerships with your customers. Let me introduce Paul to you. Paul is the creator and CEO of Accelerated Journey. Using his 20 years of manufacturing strategy and continuous improvement work, Paul coaches managers and executives to lead their teams to double-digit financial growth while helping them build their dream leadership careers along the way. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for this invite. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited as well because your background is amazing and I think we are going to have so much learning overall from the process and operations perspective. But before we do that, we, we are going to kick things off with your personal story and current focus. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. My personal story and as it relates to what we're going to talk about today, I came out of college 20 something years ago or so and, and went straight into manufacturing. And it was in a high tech, multi-billion dollar, huge company. So I learned manufacturing when you have all the luxuries of money to spend and a proven process. And when you're kind of king of the mountain, you know, where we had vendors lining up to try to get our business. We had well-established customers all over the world. It wasn't a problem to do billions in business. And our our idea of growth was how do we go from, you know, a billion dollars in profit in a quarter to $2 billion profit in a quarter. So I learned manufacturing that way. And when I started to learn about lean and started to read stories and read the books and, and listen to some, you know, talk shows and things about it online, like podcasts in the early days, I realized that I was learning manufacturing in a very, very small segment of what the actual sector is. You know, not everybody has billions of dollars to play with. 
And so I got really curious about small manufacturing. What's what's growth mean to them and what's the difference? Yeah. And so I, I left that big company. I went to a small one where we had only about 200 employees and uh, I think about 20 million in revenue on a good year. And straight from the CFO's mouth, you know, we're a break-even company in our in our best performance. And the struggle there was lack of capital, bad cash flow, fighting for customers on, you know, fighting with the competition over price point per unit to try to win business. And I started to see these real challenges on a daily, weekly basis that I'd never been exposed to. And that's where I started to see the the magic of process improvement or, you know, at least the lean thinking and philosophy, how it could really give somebody like that a major competitive advantage. And the more I learned, the more I got to teach and the more we got to change. And I started to see how we could grow. And I learned paths for growth that, you know, they were a tough sell at first. But once we started changing the thinking yeah. around our position in the market, we started to capitalize on, on some of these opportunities and, and really did some some amazing things. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting the way you distinguish between uh, the, the large companies and the small companies. And sometimes people miss that perspective. And in my opinion, mm -hmm. I think that is very important because my small to medium sized manufacturer, as soon as they are going to hear billions of dollars, they are going to move into the next show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they are going to think that, you know what, this is not relevant for me. Okay. Why are we talking about billions of dollars here? We don't have that. Okay, so we have one more standard question before we unpack a lot that you mentioned there, and that is going to be your perspective on growth. What does business growth mean to you, Paul? To me, the, the biggest thing, it's almost synonymous with capacity and, and especially, obviously, manufacturing, but it's different than just what we normally talk about when we say, you know, what's our capacity to move volume? And, and that's what, you know, talking about big versus small, when I learned small manufacturing, that was all they talked about was just how do we push more vo more volume through this system, through this plant. And their focus was always within those four walls under that one roof. Yeah. And my perspective on growth is you've got to look at two types of capacity. Number one is resource capacity, which, yes, of course, that includes your plant, how big it is, how many machines you have, how, how much space you, you have for product and volume and material. But the other resource you really do have to consider that I think it's overlooked, even though it might sound obvious, is is demand. I kind of look at demand as, as a resource because you need to understand it. You need to know how to use it. You need to leverage it and look at the capacity of demand that's out there and align yourself to it. The second kind of capacity when I think about growth is, is I call it human capacity. Yeah. And it's more than just the number of people you have working there. It really comes down to what's the intellectual capacity, meaning how much are you learning and developing each other? How much are you studying your market, especially your demand? How much are you becoming a, a, a an intellectual expert about how your product works out in the world once it leaves your dock? And then also emotional capacity when it comes to yeah. humans. We make decisions on emotion. We like to say that we're data-driven, but at the end of the day, the data only gets you to the edge of the cliff. And, and then it's your, your choice at that point. Are we willing to take the leap or do we want to play it small, play it safe and step back? And that, that's usually driven by emotion. So what's the organization's capacity emotionally to make tough decisions about taking a big chance that has a lot of growth potential or playing it safe, sticking with what you know, and then potentially missing out on opportunities? So that's kind of when I, when I talk about growth or hear growth, I immediately think of capacity. What what resources do you have to leverage and how are you improving or changing or growing those? And then where are your people's heads at and where are their emotions at? And are you making the right decisions 
about those resources. I love your perspective because you are really the operations guy. You are trying to put the emotions on the project plan, which is crazy in my opinion. Okay, wonderful. So now we are going to be moving to the today's topic, which is going to be slightly more the vendor management and consolidation and dealing in a situation where, let's say, if I'm the manufacturer and I am running into a situation where my customer is pushing me to either give me a discount or give them a discount, or there is a situation where they are probably consolidating the vendor portfolio. Obviously, that's not a very pretty situation to be in just because there are going to be several challenges. So now if I were to manage my capacity, if I were to sort of plan this situation, so help me understand what will be the best way of navigating this situation? What, how can I plan my resources? How can I streamline my demand? And how can I hedge my risks overall in this specific situation? Yeah, it's like you said, it's not a pretty situation when, when you yeah. have a large player in a market that, that kind of controls the supply chain, especially for the manufacturers when they, when they have a lot of price pressure or when, they're, when they represent 50% of the market, one customer dominates. All the manufacturers, of course, are fighting for the business from that customer, but that customer has a ton of power and a ton of leverage. So, you know, we ran into this exact situation at, at one of the companies I was I was at where okay. we had that pressure not only to continue to, to compete on price per unit, yep. but also they came to us and said, we actually do not need eight suppliers for this this product line anymore. You know, we're going to be we're going to be consolidating down to, to the best three. And so, of course, there was panic and everybody kind of freaking out about let's cut our price even lower. Let's, and we're talking price per unit was measured in pennies for this product. We, we did millions in volume a year for pennies per, per unit. So it was like, how do you go from seven cents to six cents? That was sort of the conversation. And what, what I saw and what a couple people brought to the table was, well, wait a second, when we talk about capacity, you know, we can cut price and we can try to expand a plant or we can move some other products out and not run them anymore so we can do more because we need more volume at lower prices and all these things, we said, wait a second, what if we looked at this as what is the capacity of the entire system? Our, our customer is not the end user. It was actually a product that eventually made its, its way into retail and was, was sold on shelves in retail stores all over the country. We said, well, the capacity of the entire system has to be some number. And what, what are we contributing to that? And is it operating under or over capacity, you know, and we started looking at the entire pipeline. And so really step one, if, if you're a smaller manufacturer and by small, I mean, you know, 100, 200, maybe even up to 500 employees, Yeah. but something, you know, under $50 million a year, maybe you're 5 million a year and this can happen to you. And the first thing to really look at is what's the overall system that we're talking about? How does your product play into the big picture? And what does your customer do with it when it leaves your dock? You know, who does it go to next? What are all the moving parts up and down the entire supply chain? And it's sort of taken the value stream thinking, but expand it beyond your four walls. Expand it all the way to the end user, the point of sale, the finally, final place where the product gets sold and the money starts and chase all the way up and down at every step and look and see what is happening at all these steps. What's the capacity of the, the system? And in order to win, it's not about getting your price per unit the lowest. What you want to do is try and come be the first one that comes up with a total system cost decrease. How can you take cost out of the entire system 
for the either the end user or your primary customer who's putting the pressure on you. Because if you can reduce their overall cost, that gives you a lot of flexibility to look at your, your unit price. And in our case, to, to give you a real example, we actually found out that there was tons of excess inventory all in the pipeline. So okay. there was things being obsoleted and expired and you know, they're finding old, outdated stuff in store shelves, distribution centers. The whole shipping channel was just loaded with inventory. And so we said, well, if we're able to reduce the amount of inventory being flooded and we compete on price, we're going to lose a lot of money. So how do we charge more per unit but have the, the primary customer save money? And so what we ended up doing was move into a model where we could produce a lot less based on replenishment. So what's actually getting used at the end point? You know, in, in Lean, anybody who's listening that knows about Lean, you always talk about value through the eyes of the customer. Well, value is really what is starting at the point of sale because it doesn't matter what your customer says is valuable because if their customer is not going to buy it, it still doesn't matter and so on and so yeah. forth. So you got to go to the end and find out what's really happening there. And so we said, if we can get, if we can deliver the only the volume that moves based on dollars, someone buys it and we replenish it. If we can do that, and cut out everything in between and do it for our customer, we can save them a lot of money. So we had to go in and get the details, of course, and figure it all out. But when we did that, we were able to, to produce a much lower volume, but charge a higher unit price. And overall, our customer's cost came down. But for us, our, our margin on each unit went way up. And we also reduced the amount of volume in our plant. So now our physical capacity went up as well. And we took a lot of other things out of the pipeline. We took out front end um, ordering. We, we simplified the purchase order process. And by doing all those things for the customer, they rewarded us with a blanket purchase order for a dollar amount that was unheard of in that industry. Blanket purchase orders were like a four letter word. And we got one for seven figures and it represented about 25% of our total revenue overall across all customers. So it was huge. But they rewarded us with that because it was about 20% less than what they would spend with the supply chain in the year. So we got the lion's share of volume, which was less than what we normally would have, but we got paid more to do it. So really step one is, is consider capacity of the whole system and say, what can we bring to the table where if we offer a total cost reduction to our customer, overall their spend with us as a manufacturer is going to be lower. And we're also going to be able to potentially either produce less volume so that we're saving and using our capacity for other things, or we can charge more per unit. And ideally you get to do both. If you invent that solution and bring it to the table, not only are you going to be in the, in the final three out of eight or the final 12 out of 50 or whatever numbers they're trying to go down to in your, your supplier base, you're going to win. You're going to be number one. So when they cut back again, or when they start to look for a strategic partner, you're going to stand out as their first choice. And, and that's really what we're able to create. So can't say enough, and I probably overstated it, but looking at the total system capacity and look at your supply chain up and down, upstream and downstream of what's happening just in your plant, because you can't solve those big issues just inside your four walls. Reducing your price, eliminating waste, doing all these things that, that are generally favorable or we encourage people when we talk about lean, that, that stuff should come last. You want to look at the total system first. Okay, so that's a very interesting story, and I am interested in going one level deeper there. And the reason for that is because when we look at, let's say, if I take an example of a decent size SMB manufacturer, 
And if I ask them, okay, and they are not going to have very complex products, they are not going to have very complex manufacturing process. If I ask them to create, let's say, value stream of their entire workflow from the uh, product perspective, I can almost guarantee that they would not be able to do that. Even if I give them, let's say, 90 days, you know, 180 days statistics, obviously there are going to be a lot of moving pieces overall in the process. There is going to be phases of analysis and paralysis. And then finally, they will not be able to build this value stream. Now you are talking about not only you need to build the value stream inside your four walls, you also should be building the value stream for your customer. So obviously, I understand the, the results, uh, Paul, here. I also understand the problem. But how do you go from point A to point B? The more detail mm -hmm. you can provide, what is going to be the approach that you would take or the approach that you had taken in this specific engagement? Describe to me the baby steps. The more detail that you can provide, the more I will be able to understand as the SMB manufacturer, the financial executive, okay, how I can take this step in my organization. Yeah, you know, and, that, and that's a great a great question because it really does come down to obviously executing, right? Yes. It's far, it's far more simple than I think a lot of people believe it to be. And that's normally that's where they stop. They, they immediately say, this is going to be really difficult. So they don't do it. But what I want to offer to everybody is actually can be really simple. And the number one thing is when we talk about, especially lean language, we say, go to the Gemba, right? Yeah. Walk the, walk the process. Well, just because the process is happening outside your four walls beyond your plant doesn't mean you can't walk the process. So go to where the product you're making, if it's, if it's feasible. And of course, this isn't going to apply to every single manufacturing company, but especially for consumer products or, I mean, it can really apply to anything, even in aerospace, for example, or defense. You might be able to go out and see somewhere where your product is being used. It might not be directly with your own two eyes. You may have to study case studies or talk to users, talk to other supply chain players. But if you're able to go and actually see your product in the market, start there and then walk your way back upstream. And an actual example of this, right? When we were so successful with doing this model with one major customer, then we started to look down you know, the line at who's next, who's our next largest customer and who is one of their users. And when we did that and identified somebody who represented like 10% of our business, we actually got on a plane. This is my only, in true story, my only trip ever to Toronto. So to your kind of your land over there where you're, yeah. where you're at, the only time I went up there was to go to visit a customer and we were going to meet with their marketing executives. So it was me and another operations guy, you know, in management. We, we flew to meet with their marketing team. The reason they wanted to see us is because we were able to share the, uh, the example of what we did for that other customer. So they were interested. But before we got to their headquarters and went to their big office and talked about numbers, we just went to a store where we knew their products that we made for them would be on the shelf. And guess what we found when we got there? Yeah, they were out. The store was out. The closest store to their headquarters was out of the product that that they buy from us and then sell. And so that was a huge data point. That was a big eye opener to us to say, wait a second. And so we asked the employees at the store, how do you know when more is coming in? How do you find it? And they couldn't really answer some of those questions. And we, and we saw right away that's a merchandising problem. It's a distribution problem. It's a visibility problem. And so we brought that information right to their head of marketing and had that discussion. And she, she was a little bit embarrassed. And that wasn't our, our goal. It was to shed the light on the problem. And that's where she said, wow, you took the, the opportunity to go and, and see it out in the marketplace and learn something we don't know. That's when she said, okay, I'm willing to be more transparent. And she started to share 
more numbers with us. She started to, to, to draw the value stream for us because we were asking those questions and we earned her trust. So she started to tell us about their distribution channel, who they um, contract with, where the product goes and how many locations they have warehouses in, things like that, where if we had just you know called her up one day and said, hey, so-and-so, how many warehouses do you have? She probably would have hung up. Nobody has time for that. Yeah. So you've got to put in the legwork, but what you want to do is try to go to the points where you know the product moves and follow it. Go and see for your own eyes what's actually happening and study it. And that's where you'll be able to start to piece it together. You, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's like any VSM you know, value stream map that you draw in, the, in terms of the lean lingo. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just, you just got to have the right information, the big information in there. What are the major steps? What's the cycle time? What's the overall lead time? You know, how many people are involved? And then the thing to throw in there that is missing in the, in the lean world, I, I find often, is where's the money flowing? When's the money come in and when's it go out and, and in which quantities? If you yeah. can get close to being accurate with those things, then you can start to pinpoint in that system where's the major opportunity. Okay, amazing. So obviously, I am looking for some more details there because let's say if I'm thinking more from the manufacturing executive, I sort of understand the problem. I also understand that when I look at this story, obviously, if you look at the, the supply chain, everybody's mm-hmm. going to have tons and tons of problems. But when I'm looking at, let's say, if I want to solve this problem and if I hire a consultant, now they are going to say, obviously, this is how I'm going to operate. This is how I'm going to work. And this is how I'm going to solve the problem. But what I am not clear on the what is going to be the starting point. Do you sort of recommend that, let's say, if I'm running into any specific problem, do you recommend that, you know, I look at any specific product categories? Do you recommend that these businesses should be looking at some sort of areas on the financial statement and they should be driving this visualization process? And in my mind, what you are doing is you are doing the process visualization and you are also doing a lot of discovery and in any organization i mean it doesn't matter which organization that is they all are going to have some sort of uh, you know opportunities to be able to optimize their process to be able to reduce the cost and also to be able to find the opportunities when they are dealing in case of the the consolidation phase right i mean see that's the, mm-hmm. the conversation that we are having here so tell us what is the starting point? So let's say if I'm running into the situation today, what is going to be my some sort of 30, 60, 90 day plan? Okay, how am I uh, combating this situation? And, you know, so that I'm not burning down and paying to my consultant, who's probably going to charge a lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so so yeah. tell me, tell me how to start on this process. Yeah, so if you're in that situation where you just found out your biggest customer is consolidating the supply base, yeah. Wants to, is going to reduce the number of suppliers, is giving everybody the same chance to try and win the business and, and kind of stay in the top three out of eight, like in our case, that one that one example. But whatever they tell you and you, you say, OK, we want to be in there, but we also want to be number one. How, where do we start? What do we want to do the first 30 days? First 30 days is and I recommend this to every manufacturer and, and really any business outside of that, but especially manufacturing, because this is where I see the trend is I call it Pareto the pack. So one, you've really got to understand your customer. It might be obvious that they're your biggest, most powerful customer and you can skip this step, but it's not always obvious, but there's also hidden fruit in looking at all of your customers. And when I say Pareto the pack, what I mean is just literally drawn out a graph by revenue. You can do it on an annual basis if you want, or average of the last so many years, depending on your, your billing cycle, what makes sense, but graph out the revenue by customer. 
And from left to right, you're going to have the tallest bar for the greatest all the way down to the least. And typically, when Pareto comes in, the 80-20 rule, typically 80% of your revenue will come from 20% of your customers. There's yeah. going to be some ratio like that. It's never 50-50, right? It's very rare. It might be yeah. 60, 40, 70, 30. Once you do that, though, you want to look at everything. To, you draw a vertical line at where that 80-20 line would be or 70-30. Everything to the left of the line is significant because that means that's the significant source of your revenue and it's the fewest number of customers because overall, each customer is going to represent relatively equal fixed cost when it comes to operating your, your plant or your location. All the ones to the right predominantly represent cost. So you want to make sure that, number one, if a customer is pressuring around supplier reduction, are they to the left of that line? If not, stop there. Don't entertain it. Don't fight it. Move on and build strategic partnerships with the other ones to the left. If they happen to fall to the left and they're a big, powerful customer and you know that or you do this this graphing exercise and you quite clearly see that they fit into that high revenue contributing bucket of customers, then what you want to do is the second thing, and this might be very counterproductive if you've got you know your 30-day plan, your 60, the first 30 days is reach out and build, form a partnership or relationship at a minimum with all of the other suppliers. And that might be the last place most consultants would say to look. That might be the furthest thing from any executive's mind about why would I call my competitors? We're trying to kill each other. You know, yeah. they're trying to outbid me on price or trying to cheat the system and win the volume and steal my bids, whatever. If you build the relationship with each of them, literally a phone call, pick up the phone and call them and talk about the situation, say, how can we work together to win where our customers are going to get what they want, but we're going to get it too. We're going to get what we need. And that can look like anything, affiliation, co-pack arrangement, creating sub-entities for each other. But essentially, you want to look at what do what does each of us do the best? And if you have an honest conversation, all the other suppliers and manufacturers, they know who's better at one particular type of product or product skew, or even if it's delivery and shipment or quality, each one knows who's better. And if you don't, you've got to do your research. If you're running a, a manufacturing company, you should know your competitors. Find out who does the best of each thing and then say, how do we offload and move volume for this customer under the roof where it's going to be done the best so that not only is the customer getting everything exactly the way they want, but now when we consolidate it that way and we build out maybe a revenue share type of a model, the top, uh, you know, the top tier of suppliers is going to automatically stand out. And so you're, you're basically deciding for the customer who stays, who goes by reaching out and building these partnerships. And it isn't to kill off the weak ones. It's really yeah. so that it doesn't come down to something as trivial as who got their price lowest fastest, because that's a losing downhill battle for, that's a slippery slope for everybody, right? It's just like a housing market. You're driving everybody's value down. Yeah. Instead, if you look at how do we actually do for them what they want, which if it's, they want a lower price point, well, how do we get them that price point, but still maximize the profitability of our collective system of suppliers? So really, I mean, it doesn't, it's not a, a super nuts and bolts kind of thing, like yeah. which machine to turn on or off, but it's literally a phone call. It's pick up the phone and make those, start making those relationships happen and have that roundtable discussion. And the way I've seen it work best was the customer got involved. It was bring the customer into the room and say, this is our proposal. Company X does does product A, B, C the best. They're going to take all the volume. And, you know, company Y does products D, E, and F the best. They're going to take all that volume. This is what we can offer you as total annual cost or the price per unit on each of those things. 
And then we're going to share revenue because we're going to be offloading the orders to each other if it's a geographic restriction or something, right? There's going to always be a reason why the order should go to one and not the other. But then internally, you can make that decision to transfer it. So it's it might sound complicated, but it's honestly just a series of conversations. And, and once that's established, that could easily happen in the first 30 days. Now, if you're at the, okay, by 60 days, we've got to actually have an actionable plan. We got to know what we're doing. Now you can start looking back internally at your own system and say, okay, how do we deliver on what we just said we would do? If we're going to get all the volume of products D, E, and F, because we said we're the best at it, how do we make sure we do it even better and we do it at an even higher margin by controlling our internal cost? How do we make sure that we're doing, we can take on more volume so that this customer sees it as a growth path rather than a reduction path? And, and that's where you can, you know, go back into the, you know, the lean conversation or even the process improvement or the pricing, uh, your costing. You can start looking at that stuff, which you have full control over in, internally. But to do that first, I think it's premature because now you're just, you're hoping that the other guy doesn't edge you out by 10%. So those are really kind of the, 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 the more tangible things that I, you know, they might sound like a lot of steps involved with each, but you can break them down and keep them simple. And so by 60 days, you could have a new plan for your your operation internally. And then you have 30 days to, to make it happen, to execute that plan. And that's more than enough time. If you're a 10 million or 20 or $30 million manufacturer, 30 days is a long time. And it, you know you don't need to to spend a lot of time agonizing over moving things around in the plant or changing the team structure, all that, you'll have a, more of a reason to do it because you've signed up for something that is kind of a life or death decision for your company. If you don't do it in 30 days, you're probably going to be kicked out of the arrangement with the other suppliers and then you lose. There were some very interesting points. Uh, at least I found them uh, interesting in uh, number one, really taking care of your suppliers and really working with them and winning together because it's not going to be just you, right? If you mm -hmm. work with suppliers, you are going to find tons and tons of opportunities from there as well. In fact, they might be able to tell some of the intel just because, you know, they might be working with your competitors. So you might get some some information from there as well. So those could be some other things that you might be able to utilize in the negotiation phase. So, OK, so as we go through this journey, obviously, you know, uh, you have provided a lot of insight overall from the visibility perspective, overall in finding the, the opportunity. Now, let's get to the negotiation phase. So when you are getting into negotiation phase, obviously the your customer is talking to many different suppliers, right? So do you have mm -hmm. any key strategies there in terms of how you can combat these uh, these negotiation tactics as well? Because the customer is not going to tell you everything, right? They are not going to be transparent. Uh, if they tell you everything, then obviously <laughs> they are they are telling you the secret sauce, so you are not going to know whether you are going to be in that mix or not. So what are some of the negotiation strategies or these situations? that you have seen, do you have any sort of advice there by any chance? I would say never negotiate on price because okay. I think that's going to be, it's a losing battle because you're absolutely right. The, the customer is not going to share everything. If you get a strategic customer that's willing to work with you and be transparent, you're way out ahead of the game and that's that takes some groundwork, some legwork. You can establish that. But if it's not established and, and it's a time crunch, if you go in and negotiate on price and they know in the back of their mind what everybody else's price already is already, if that's the first word out of your mouth, here's what we can do per unit, you, you're either going to win or lose. And they already know that. And the conversation can be over in 30 seconds. So instead of negotiating around price per unit, it really comes back to negotiating around what's the biggest value to them. And if you had this challenge brought to your company as our biggest customer is consolidating, 
and reducing the number of suppliers. And, and, and we need to try to remain in that pool or at least win from. And that's why I say, you know, what I said earlier about the first steps from the get go, go and understand what is happening with the product after your customer does something with it. Because the chances are, if you're a manufacturer, you're probably not selling to the end user. It's going to be in a supply chain. It's going into some other assembly or something else, or it's it's repackaged and resold somewhere. If you can find out what's happening there and find a problem there to solve, that's going to make your customer look like a hero. Yep. That's what you want to negotiate around. It, the conversation can literally go as simply as this. And we did this in the room, which was we're going to increase our unit price, which first and foremost, if they've got 10 suppliers and they've talked to nine others, chances are all nine of them have, have told them what they can do to reduce unit price or bulk discounts. If you walk to the table and say, we're going to increase our unit price, they're probably going to be confused by that and they're going to want to know more. So that's where you can tell them, here's how you can save more money every year from us, or here's how you can move more volume every year through us. This is what we are going to change and do differently. And that's where you need to have that be armed with that total system view. Because you might say, we're going to drop ship to all of your all of your retail locations, or we're going to drop ship to all of your final assembly locations. And we're going to take on the cost to do that. So we need to charge more per unit to stay whole and make sure our margins allow us to pay the bills. But by doing that, this is what we're taking out of the pipeline for you. And there's, you know, when you look at supply chain and study it, there's formulas to to guesstimate this stuff. You know, it's not like you have to go and find their assembly location and, and get them to open their books to you. I mean, the chance of that is zero, but you can you can come pretty darn close to knowing what the total system cost is based on some basic numbers around inventories, pricing, things like that. So if you're able to do a little bit of that heavy lifting up front and then propose that to your customer as your total spend is going to be X percent lower each year and what you stand to gain is potentially either moving more volume or doing less work. You know, what customer wouldn't be thrilled if you said, we'll drive the trucks for you. That'd be great as long as we don't have to pay you. And, <laughs> and so if that's what you negotiate around. I think that gives you a ton of leverage and gives you a fighting chance of coming out on top and really becoming their number one supplier. It's it's a lot more work than cutting your price. That You can do that in a second. Let's just take 3% off and hope nobody goes bigger. But that's a gamble. You know, you're leaving way too much up to chance. And, it's, and if it's really coming down to your big customer consolidating suppliers, you've got everything to lose, right? If, if you don't do extra work up front that no one else is doing. So it's worth that effort because you also stand to gain quite a bit. So when the stakes are that high, it's worth jumping on a plane and flying around to assembly sites and finding out what happens to your product much as you can. If, and if that sounds like too much work or too expensive to an executive, what's the what's the alternative? Losing on the price bid and, and all that volume going away and potentially having to shut down part of your operation or all of it, you know, that's a yeah. huge cost. Yeah, wonderful. So Amazing insights there, to be honest. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, that's it for today, Paul. Do you have any last-minute closing thoughts by any chance? Yeah. You know, the biggest thing that, that I'm a believer in is that all these things are, are changed, right? It's doing it differently. It's not the standard way, especially in manufacturing. So some of this stuff like partnering with your competitors, it might sound totally counterintuitive. It just <laughs> takes a, you know, it takes a different way of thinking. It takes transformation. My firm belief is that transformation doesn't have to take a long time. It doesn't take years. It really just takes a decision. So in that moment, if you decide, let's pioneer a new way, let's pave a path, let's stand out as the premier supplier that customers are going to be fighting for, and we're going to be able to increase our prices that way. If that's what you decide you want, that's where the change happens in that moment and being defiantly committed to finding a way to create it. 
the rest downstream, it's, it's a lot of logistics. You know, where do we fly? Who do we call? What do we, what do we have to structure in our plant differently? Do we have to change our org chart? Do we need to hire somebody? That stuff comes easy when you, when you have the, the picture of the puzzle first. And then when you get all the pieces, you, you can figure out which ones snap together and things start to roll pretty quick. You know, when I say it happens, it doesn't have to take years. When we went from eight suppliers and they were saying we're going to go down to three and when we were number one right off the bat, that was a matter of, I think it was about three or four months to, to get there and get awarded that purchase order and get awarded the most volume. Then the things we had to do inside, like move equipment around or set up shipping lanes and build a replenishment, you know, fulfillment model. That was just logistics. And we had, in, as in most companies, you're going to have somebody working for you that knows how to do it. We had a shipping guy who knew all this stuff. He knew who to call. He had deals with with all the drop shipping guys and, and all the fulfillment carriers. He knew what to do, just like we we had people in the front office that knew how to process a blanket purchase order, order in a way that it was five minutes of work a, a month that they had to do. And you have that expertise already in-house, but without that bigger picture, without the vision of, of what we're trying to change and a commitment to it, all that expertise is kind of like unutilized capacity, right? It's just sitting out there unused. And if you can tap into it and apply it as a supplier in a manufacturing supply chain, you can come out on t- and it can happen fast. Yeah, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be 90% of the businesses, including your competitors, are really paying attention to those four walls. And on their products and services, the real opportunities are going to be really outside. So think outside of the box. Find some intros for your customers or suppliers, and you can do wonders in winning the business. On that note, Paul, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a very insightful, powerful, and fun conversation. Yeah, likewise, Sam. You nailed it. Think outside the box, the literal box of your company. If you think outside and look outside, you'll see major opportunities um, and a lot of growth potential. So this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you your questions and having me on today. This was- I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Paul, head over to paulsarafino.com. It's P-A-U-L-S-E-R-A. F-I-N-O.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Sanjeev Vetmangalkar, who discusses why lean is a strategy and thinking and why most companies fail with lean as they focus on tools. Also, the interview with Paul Critchley from New England Lean Consulting, who discusses practical examples of how to apply 5SS of Lean to your organization. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.